Be ready for everything and anything. Every good player has the ability to slow the game down. It doesn't matter what just happened, it's what you're gonna do next. Zone on three! One, two, three, zone! This episode is brought to you by Zone Sports Academy, where an athlete has to be to succeed. Zone is a 28,000 square foot indoor baseball and softball training facility located in Bridgewater, New Jersey. We have 10 batting cages, six pitching mounds, and a full infield playing field. Zoned, where an athlete has to be to succeed. Welcome to the Get Zoned In podcast for coaches looking to improve their skills and knowledge both on and off the field. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, this podcast is for you. We'll be exploring a variety of topics that are relevant and important to baseball and softball coaches, but this advice can be used for all sports and skill levels. Join us as we dive into the world of coaching and learn from some of the best in the business. Whether you're looking to improve your team's performance or just want to make a positive impact on your players, we've got you covered. Let's go and let's play ball. Hey everyone, Duke Baxter here with Steve Nickerak, and we are pumped today. We've been getting peppered with pitching questions, and so we wanted to make sure we brought to you one of the best. We're going to be covering topics such as arm care, what age should players start throwing an off-speed pitch, how to build throwing and pitching into your daily practice, and how to create a good throwing program. In case you missed last week, we talked about winter training and how to create the right practice plan for your team. We talked about parents and team expectations, and we also talked about goal setting for players and coaches. These episodes can be found on Spotify, our YouTube channel, and Apple Music. Steve-O, what do you say we jump right into today's episode? Yes, what's going on, everybody? We do have a very special guest here today. Mike Nickerak is with us. It's perfect timing, like Duke said, with the amount of questions we've gotten regarding pitching. Mike, who's a familiar face for a lot of you guys and a lot of our followers because he helped create our pitching course. He's on a ton of our Dominate the Diamond content, and he's really been a big part of our team here at Zone Sports Academy. Before joining our team, Mike was a graduate of Stroudsburg High School and was committed to play baseball at the University of Alabama. In 2015, he was a first-round draft pick with the Colorado Rockies and played seven years of professional baseball. After retiring from the game, Mike joined our staff here and now oversees our pitching department. He runs our Velocity and Arm Care program. He does private and group training. He assists us in our coaches' clinics. He oversees all of the pitchers' high school trainings for January and February, and he's also the head coach of our 11U Elite team. A cool side note, note on Mike was back in high school, he was on one of the first ever zoned travel teams in 2013 as a pitcher and an outfielder for us. He's got a ton of experience and knowledge, and his ability to teach the game to all ages and ability levels, all while simplifying it, makes him one of our most sought-after coaches, and we're so fired up to have him here on the show today. So we're going to jump right in. Mike, how's the winter going so far? You know, we're about halfway through busy season here at Zone. you got the high school season ramping up in about a month, and the little guys are starting about the first week of April. How are your programs going, and how are you ramping up to get the guys ready for opening day? Yeah, what's going on, guys? So I'll start off with the little guys. For the most part, little guys, I try to urge not to throw off the mound until December-ish, at least. Uh, a lot of guys are eager to come in and start their bullpens, but in reality, travel baseball has become so big, even at that level. So kids are playing from spring, they're playing into summer, they're playing into fall, and a 10U kid, a 9U kid who really shouldn't be throwing the baseball that much is finding himself throwing hundreds of pitches every single year. 
Um, so as far as the little guys go, the month of November and even into December, we've really been focusing on mechanical work. We've been focusing on taking care of their arm and mostly we've been focusing on creating a routine. And I know that sounds kind of crazy at a younger age to focus on a routine, but they don't have too much of a routine. It's pick up the baseball, throw it as much as I possibly can. Um, so we have our youth velo here at Zoned. We've started bullpens the last couple weeks. We keep the pitch count really low. We focus mostly on four seams and two seams right now. Um, but a lot of the directing is going on as far as mechanical work for the younger guys right now. Now, as the older guys get into zoned, uh, mostly what's going on is we've had our velo class. That started back in the beginning of November. It's really the same deal with them. They're throwing a ton. I remember when I was pitching in high school, I didn't feel like I was throwing that much, but that's right when travel baseball was really starting up. So for them, we've started them on about a two month program, month and a half program of teaching them how to take care of their arm, teaching them how to take care of their body and how to get stronger. Once the month of December hit, right before Christmas, we got them off of the mound. Uh, we mostly spent a lot of time on flat grounds. We spent a lot of time on mechanical work, towel drills, taking care of their arm, and then their bullpen started up about a month ago. So we're in the process of building them up pitch-wise as far as bullpens go, um, and we started implementing some off-speed off stuff as well. But mostly with those guys, they just wanna go, 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 go. So trying to hold them back and, and let them know the season doesn't start until the end of March, beginning of April. A lot of the older guys have done a really good job this year with holding themselves back and paying attention to how their arm's feeling. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think a lot of kids lose sight of how many throws they're actually making. Right? We talk about being a multi-sport athlete versus playing baseball or softball year-round. And you know we get a lot of questions about pitch counts and what's a good pitch count. But you know if your kid goes out and throws 65 pitches and then goes plays tennis ball, baseball in between games, and then he's playing wiffle ball, and then they play two more games the next day. You're talking about hundreds of throws a weekend these kids are making. So, you know, I think when, when Coach Mike talks about prioritizing the arm care and making sure that they're, they're not getting overused in November, December, January, when the season doesn't even start till April, I think it's really important because there's a lot of throws that go on behind the scenes, and we're, we're just as guilty of it. You know, growing up, it's, it was constant. Yeah, a lot of guys don't realize that, let's say, you know, Coach Steve or Coach Duke, you guys are pitching that day. You're warming up with the team down the line, making probably 50 throws. Then you're going to the bullpen, probably making another 25, 30 throws before the game starts. And then if you pitch six innings, and let's say you throw 75 pitches, 80 pitches on a good day, those six innings, you're also throwing eight pitches every inning to warm up. So those pitches add up. Not to mention a lot of kids are playing on multiple teams. A lot of kids are are um, required or expected to go on a Friday and then come back on a Sunday. Uh, it's a lot of throwing and the more we can take care of our arm, the more prepared we're going to be in those situations. I think that leads us right into a perfect question. You know, we get asked a lot about arm care. What age should a player start arm care? They talk about bands. Should they, should they do bands? At what age should they do bands? When can they start doing weights and weight training? You know, everything's so much about velo, velo, velo. I had a guy yesterday, a high school kid, the first thing he, words out of his mouth was he wanted to tell me how fast he threw. He's like, I can't throw it for a strike, but man, do I throw hard? And I'm like, well, that's awesome, you know, good. But so a lot of coaches are asking that arm care, strength training bands. Can you talk a little bit about arm care and, you know, especially when you're talking about youth baseball players and youth in general? Yeah, there's a bunch of different arm care that we do uh, in zone. We do shoulder weights, we do plyos, we do bands, we do body blade, we do some stabilization drills. Um, it all really depends on the age. 
And with that, it's also a little, there's a little room for wiggle room there. So if I have a 10U kid that comes in and he's advanced for 10U, I may introduce him into some bands, I may introduce him into some shoulder weights, but for the most part, if you're under 10 years old and you're looking to take care of your arm, basically shoulder weights and creating a good routine. That's it, right? So making sure that you come into zoned, you stretch out really good, or you go to the field, you stretch out really good, it's not, let me put my glove on, grab the baseball and start throwing. Um, because that's usually what a 10U kid wants to do, he just wants to get out on the field and he wants to play. Once you start getting a little bit older, I would say age 11, age 12, you're starting to grow, your body's becoming a little bit bigger. I do like to introduce bands mostly to those guys. Like I said, there's the exception for the 10U guy that maybe is a little bit advanced, but 11, 12 is a little bit easier because they can understand the movements of bands, right? So you don't wanna just pull on the bands and swing the bands around without actually controlling how those bands are, are going. If you're doing bands at under 10, he better have or she better have really good form or else she's not gonna get or he's not gonna get anything out of it. For 11 or 12, I like to introduce bands. I like to do shoulder weights. And when I talk shoulder weights, I'm talking three different exercises out to the side on an angle and out in front of us. Three pound weights, five pound weights if, if you're a bigger kid. And then we also have body blades. So body blade takes a little time getting used to it and some kids are better at it than others, but that's another way to take care of your shoulder. Um, I've done a ton of physical therapy, unfortunately, and all of my physical therapy was directed around strengthening your shoulder. And the reason why they, the physical therapist told me that it was around strengthening your shoulder was because the stronger your shoulder is, the less you have to use your elbow. And everybody knows in baseball that the elbow is the, the main area that pitchers tend to get hurt. Once you become 13 years old and over, you should have a pretty good warm-up routine. You should have a good idea of how much throwing you should be making every single day. So combining all of those drills, we have shoulder weights, we have body blade, we have bands, we have some stabilization drills that we do in the weight room. But for the most part, I would say 10 and below, maybe introduce them to two pound, three pound shoulder weights. You can even introduce them to the body blade. It's probably not gonna be very smooth, but they can at least get an idea of it. And then as you get older, starting to add a couple things into that mix to help them create their own routine. Well, we're also gonna add in our, uh, our arm activation. You created a really cool arm activation routine for guys with bands. So that's something you can just download on dominatediamond.com. You can get that free download and that's just a good way to kind of follow the exercises and know how to do it, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. You know, Mike mentions the word routine a lot. And I think for those younger players, just developing those good habits of showing up to the field and, and having a, a program set in place to, this is what I'm going to do before I throw every day, right? Instead of what we did growing up, and I'm sure all you coaches can, can uh, you know, agree on this. We would do a couple arm circles, you know, a couple <laughs> right arm across the shoulder, and we were loose and ready to go. So now we're just teaching these kids that this is the proper way to warm up. We've got to get a sweat going. We've got to go through these two or three exercises to make sure that my body's ready to go and ready to move efficiently. And then we start playing catch. You know, last week I talked a ton about uh, a progressive plan leading up to opening day. So what we did with our infielders versus what we did with our hitters. Mike, can you talk a little bit about um, the progression that you guys are going through? Because I think a lot of the coaches out there, you know, you get to opening day and kid runs out there and throws 75 pitches but hasn't really thrown much. So how do your bullpens lead up until opening day? Yeah, so progression kind of depends on the age, right? So normally like you said before i coach our 11u team at the very most midsummer 
my starter is going to go 75 to 80 pitches. And that is, in my opinion, a lot for somebody who's 11U. Older kids are expected to go a little bit more. And usually during high school, they're throwing once a week. They're not throwing any more than that. When, when the kids are in, at zoned, we start, like I said, for the first couple weeks of focusing on arm care, getting their shoulder stronger, uh, building up as far as a throwing program goes. Now, when I say throwing program, I'm just talking about playing catch, how far we're playing catch, and how long we're playing catch for. There's no uh, specific way of how to throw a baseball when you're playing catch. Everybody's going to have their own way to throw a baseball. There's rights and there's wrongs. Um, but when I say throwing program, I'm just talking about playing catch that given day. Usually the way it goes, when you put a baseball down for a little while and you, you decide to start back up, usually start around 60 feet and it's a time throwing program. So it could be a five minute throwing program, it could be a six minute throwing program. That's all gonna depend on the age of the kid. And then you wanna gradually build your way up. The next day or the next week, you wanna go around 75 feet for maybe an extra 30 seconds or an extra 45 seconds. Following week after that, we wanna go 90 feet. Older guys now, you can start talking about maybe mixing in a little bit of long toss and working pull downs and trying to pick up the intensity. Duke, you mentioned everybody wants to throw harder, 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 harder. How do I throw harder? Well, you have to build your way up, right? So I always compare it to the weight room. Think about going to the weight room on Monday. You've taken two months off because you were traveling or you, you, know, you had a wedding to go to and you, you wanted to cool off for two months. You're not gonna go back into the weight room and try to max out your first day, right? And if you do, you're gonna be sore for the next week. You're gonna build your way up you're gonna get your legs underneath you, you're gonna get stronger, and then gradually over time, you're gonna add more weight to the bar, more weight, more weight, more weight. When you're throwing, you wanna do the same exact thing with the intensity that you're throwing at. If I throw at 60 feet every single day, and I'm throwing at 50% effort, I'm not gonna get stronger, I'm not gonna throw the baseball harder, I'm not gonna be ready to go and pitch 85 pitches opening day for high school. So making sure that we gradually build our way up. A lot of the high schools right now, they're at around 20 to 25 pitch bullpens right now. We have lives going next week where they're gonna be facing hitters. But for the most part, last week we were forcing two seam only. This week we're forcing two seam changeup, right? When they go live, it's gonna be forcing two seam changeup, no curveballs yet. The season's still months away. There's no reason for kids to get on the mound and bust out all four or five of their pitches when they're not expected to pitch in a game for two months. Um, and I think that's the toughest thing, kind of to, to piggyback on how kids wanna go, 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 especially in December and January. I get so many kids that come in and they tell me, oh, I stretched before I got here. No, you didn't. You did not stretch before you got here. And if you did, how far are you traveling? Oh, I'm traveling 30 minutes away. All right, so you stretched, then you drove for 30 minutes, and then you're ready to go. And the reason I laugh at it is because I used to do the same exact thing when I was younger, right? I got to zone that I wanted to just pitch when I was here. I wanted to go, I didn't wanna spend the five or six minutes getting warm and getting loose and getting my shoulder stronger, and I just wanted to pitch. So I think sticking to that routine and slowly building your way up helps you last midsummer going into the fall instead of the summer's approaching and our arm is starting to bother us and we're struggling and you know we don't think that we can go more than two innings. So I think slowly, gradually building our way up, especially intensity wise, as well as amount of throws that we're making is really, really important, especially this time of the year. Well, we're on the topic of arm care and throwing and building arm strength. Can you explain to us the what long toss means, because a lot of coaches hear long toss, they throw it out there when they're asking us questions, you know, what is long toss, what does it mean? How do you do it? You know, long toss versus weighted balls, are they both good? But realistically, they might not have the equipment of weighted balls or 
you know, I don't even know what your thoughts are really on that, but can you just explain what a long toss is, how you do it, and why you do it? Yeah, I think there's two benefits to long toss. I think benefit number one is it helps stretch your stretch your arm out and strengthen your arm. And I think benefit number two is you can really work on your mechanics when you're long tossing. So every pitching lesson that I have come in, although we might not long toss, I do have them moving their feet, shuffling and throwing towards the end of our throwing program. Um, the reason for that is a lot of kids like to get very short with their arms at the end of their delivery. So I call it chicken winging or T-Rexing it at the very end and trying to flick the ball at me. Having good extension means you're reaching out to the target, you're extending towards home plate when you release the baseball. If you look at any big league guy right now that's making millions of dollars being a pitcher, every single one of them get really good extension at the bottom of the mound. So I think long toss is a good way for you to work on your extension, especially because you're trying to make a throw that's a lot further than you're used to making, right? Let's compare it to center field making a throw to third or right field making a throw to third. I think moving your feet and reaching out with your arm can really help strengthen as well as stretch out your shoulder. As far as mechanics go, I think you can get a really good idea of how your pitches move and what you need to work on when you long toss. An example I'll use is a changeup, right? So if you're doing long toss and it's 120 or 150 feet away and you have a changeup, but you're getting underneath the baseball a lot when you throw it, that ball is going to flail on you big time. That changeup's not going to move the way it's supposed to, and you might not get the same feedback from a 60-foot throw or a 45-foot throw. But when you're throwing long toss and something's going on with your release point or your extension or your mechanics, when you're throwing that changeup, you can easily tell from 120 feet away or even 90 feet away why that pitch isn't doing what it's supposed to. So I think that the players can also work on their pitches throwing long toss and having a better idea of how their pitch is moving and how to make the adjustment to get it to move the way it needs to. Awesome, man. I know you mentioned, um, you know, throwing live bullpens. I talked about it last week and the importance of it, you know, from a hitter's standpoint, seeing some velocity, seeing a pitching machine. How beneficial is it for, for your pitchers to throw with a batter standing in, you know, in, in preseason? I think it is probably one of the most important things. We have our one red guy made out of plastic that we put in to the, uh, into the batter's box every once in a while. Uh, I do it with the younger kids, I do it with the older kids. I think that a lot of kids develop a fear when somebody steps in the batter's box. And mostly with the younger age, it's I don't want to hit them, I don't want him to crush one off me, or they start to try to place the baseball into the strike zone. So I think it's beneficial for both the hitter to see live, live pitching before the season starts, but I think it's also super beneficial for the pitcher to throw with somebody in the box. So, you know, explaining to that pitcher, it's okay if you hit him, it's okay if he hits you, it's okay if you walk him, it's okay if you strike him out. All these things are okay, but let's get our feet underneath us. Let's get used to seeing somebody in the batter's box because over the next six to eight months, you're going to be pitching with somebody in the batter's box. Um, and I think that, you know, starting to develop that confidence as a pitcher seeing somebody in the batter's box is, is critical when it comes to, to being a pitcher. And I think that it doesn't matter what age it is, you should at least try to implement a hitter in there before they go and pitch during the season. That's great because we get a lot of questions from, from you coaches out there. You know, my son does great in his bullpens. You know, pregame he's down, down the line and he's throwing all strikes and then walks the first guy of the game on four pitches. And a lot of it has to do with not training with somebody standing in there. So Duke shot a great video a couple months back of, of him, you know, as a dad catching his son's bullpen, but actually standing 
like a batter with a glove on his hand, and then the kid would throw the ball and he would catch it. So really it's just getting creative. We have, like Mike said, Charlie Red, our big red guy that we like to put in there. But the more we can get our batters in there shadowing bullpens, get hitters in there, you know, actually going live if you have the space, if you can do it in a cage, there's so many benefits to it. So that, that, that's real good stuff there. You know, one of the topics that you start getting into 11 and 12U baseball and, you know, you're back a little bit further. The kids have some some good juiced up bats and the pitches are throwing pretty hard. But, man, the hitters are on time, right? They're mashing balls. Can you talk a little bit about change-ups or off-speed pitches or how can a pitcher get a batter off their timing? Because we're always asked that. At what age can they start throwing curveballs? At what age can they start throwing something different? So can you talk a little bit about any kind of off-speed pitch and when and why and all that good stuff? Yeah, so as, as far as changing the hitter's timing, again, I think it varies from age, okay? So usually at the 10 to 11U age range, everybody thinks the changeup is them slowing their arm down and throwing the pitch a little bit slower. And to be honest with you, a lot of the times it it's successful just because the kids are so geared up and the hitters are still working on their load. They're still working on getting their front foot down. They're still working on a lot of pieces of their hitting. So uh, one of the biggest things to talk about as far as 10U goes, 10U, anything below, is understanding what a changeup is. Understanding that the reason the pitch is slowing down is not because you're slowing your arm down. It's because the grip that you actually have on the baseball. All right, so a lot of kids, especially 10U, they throw their four seams with three fingers and solely because they just don't have big enough hands to throw a four seam with two fingers. So getting them comfortable with the grip of a changeup. You know, I've had a couple kids every once in a while come in at 10U and they want to throw their curveball and they want to throw their slider or they want to throw their forkball or something, something cool that they saw on YouTube that they want to try. Fastball command is probably the most important thing when it comes to pitching. So at ages 10 to 12, I want to throw four seams, I want to throw two seams, and I want to throw change-ups. Now, when I say change-ups, I'm talking maybe 6 to 7% of our pitches are going to be change-ups, at the very most at those ages. The main reason we're throwing change-ups at those ages is so that we can get comfortable with the grip, we can get comfortable with keeping our mechanics the same, and we can get comfortable with keeping our intensity behind the pitch the same. Also, at 12U, going all the way down to maybe 6U when you're starting being a pitcher, your body is nowhere near developed enough to throw a curveball. I'm a guy that's had two elbow surgeries, and they weren't even from curveballs. They were mostly from overuse. They were from throwing the baseball hard. They were from, I'm sure, some parts of my mechanics that needed to get a little bit better. When guys are cranking down on curveballs at 12U, I'm not saying that it's giving a lot of damage to their elbow or doing a lot of damage to their elbow, but it can't be helping. It can't be helping at that age. Once a kid becomes 13U, 14U, I think that's a good time to start implementing off-speed stuff. And to say, we're going to throw a curveball or, hey, we're going to throw a slider, you can't really decide that until you see how they've released the baseball. All right, so some kids are going to have better curveballs. Some kids are going to have better sliders. And some kids are going to throw those pitches that are much safer for their arm just because they're more comfortable with throwing those pitches. So in a nutshell, I would say 12U and below Four-seam, two-seam changeup, get really good at commanding those three pitches so that by the time you become 13U, 14U, you have that command to build off of and add another pitch into your mix. If we don't mix changeup, if we don't mix two-seam at the younger ages, we're going to get to 13 or 14 and be required to throw those pitches and have no command for anything. And it's going to be so much harder to mix in that curveball or mix in that slider if we don't have any command for our fastball or our changeup. 
Do you think it's a good idea, even at the youth level, to to chart pitches, right? Because you're talking about percentages, but I think these guys, some you know, some coaches have an 11U player, and it's like, oh, I think he did pretty good. Instead of like, hey, chart him, and how many, you know, how many strikes is he throwing? Is he throwing his changeup for a strike or his two seam or his four seam? Like you're talking about commands. How do you help them get command from their pitches? I think there's a difference between throwing strikes and then throwing quality pitches. So I think, yes, you obviously want your pitchers to throw a bunch of strikes. Um, you want them to get them into the strike zone. But to go back for what we were saying before, you don't want your pitcher to baby the ball into the strike zone. So they might throw 80% strikes, but if their intensity level is 50% or 60%, they're going to get hit around. It doesn't matter if they're 10U. It doesn't matter if they're 16U. You have to have some intensity behind the pitches. Um, so I think at a young age, explaining to the player it's okay to throw a ball as long as it's still a quality pitch. Now, what is a quality pitch? Quality pitch is something that is still around the strike zone that the hitter has a pretty good chance of still swinging the bat at. All right, so if you're a guy that has a really good changeup, let's say you're 11U, you've been throwing your changeup for two years, you have a really good changeup, but now all of a sudden you're missing down in the zone with your fastball, that's still a quality pitch because you flash that changeup down in the bottom of the zone enough where that hitter is going to feel like they have to pull the trigger, they have to swing the bat on that low pitch. Although in here, you're throwing a bullpen, it might not be a strike because there's no hitter in the box. It's still probably going to be a swing and miss or it's going to be a rollover to the left side or the right side of the infield. Um, so I think really explain to the player that, yes, you want to have good command. Yes, you want to be able to throw strikes. But if we don't throw a strike, let's still keep the pitch competitive. If the pitch is competitive, you're gonna, hitters are going to get themselves out. If the pitch is not competitive, that's when the innings are going to become long. You're going to walk a couple guys. You're finally going to throw a strike. But all I know is for my 11U team, if I see a pitcher that's struggling, we're taking a pitch until we get a strike. All right, we'll, t we'll gladly take the walks. We'll gladly take the walks for the whole game, and we'll gladly take the runs that come along with it. So that, that's really my, my take. As far as charting pitches, yes, you can chart strikes and balls, but again, make sure you have that little section for quality pitches. If it's a ball, that's okay. You can mark it down as a ball, but also mark it down as a quality pitch. So you can look back at the end of the game and say, all right, our percentage from strikes to balls was this, but our quality pitches were this. And focus more on the quality pitch percentage opposed to the strikes and balls percentage. That's like what we do you know, with at-bats. We focus so much on the batting average, but if you can keep track of quality at-bats, it's, it's the same thing. A kid might go for three with three hard-hit balls, same way Mike just said a, a pitcher might go out there and walk a kid on four pitches, but he made four quality pitches. So you know, I think that's just a great way of looking at it. Mike, at what age do you let your catchers actually start calling pitches? That's a question a lot of our coaches ask, you know, or just at least introduce them to it or maybe have some sort of a system to where you jump in and call pitches at certain times of the game. So for 11U, um, this past fall is their first time on the 50-70 field. It was hit or miss. So we have two catchers, two really good catchers, and at times I would experiment and I would let them call the pitches. And a lot of the times it turned out to be pretty good. They, they did what they were supposed to, mostly because 11, 11U is forcing two-seam changeup, right? And they know that a changeup is only getting thrown either A, when we're ahead in the count, or B, when somebody's really on our pitches. So I would say teaching your catcher to have a relationship with your pitcher and understand when are we supposed to throw pitches. Normally, just based off of experience, when you implement a changeup into a kid's mix, he wants to throw nothing but changeups. He thinks it's cool, he thinks it drops lower, 
He thinks that kids are going to miss it more often. And then now we're stuck into throwing 20, 30, 40% changeups every bullpen. So I think talking to the catcher and explaining, hey, it's an 0-2 count, and the pitcher or the, the hitter just missed two fastballs that were right down the middle. He was a day late on them. What should we throw? And explaining how we don't want to speed his bat up with a changeup. Explaining how we want to stick with the fastball. Um, and I think the, the more you teach the catcher that, the, the longer leash you can give that catcher and kind of experiment and let them call the game. Now, with that being said, if there's a changeup that's called in a bad count, you're not going to just cut off your catcher's responsibility of calling the pitches. You're going to pull them in. You're going to explain to them why we shouldn't throw that pitch. And then maybe you do take over the next inning and let the catcher take the inning after that. Um, but I think kind of give and take with the catcher and the coach of saying, all right, I'm going to let you call this game, call this game, call this inning, and then I'm going to call the next one and let's see how on the same page we are. I would say with a more experienced catcher, somebody who's at 11U that's dropping and blocking and framing, who has a pretty good idea behind the plate, give him a little bit of a leash. If your catcher is you know, still struggling to catch the baseball at 11U, then maybe it's not time to really let him call the game. I think you have to really look at where your catcher is, where your pitcher is, and see if he's ready for that yet. Because being a catcher, I think at the very highest you know, responsibility for that catcher, he needs to catch the ball. He needs to not like let the ball go behind the backstop or to the backstop. I think if he proves that he can do that, then maybe you go ahead and you give him a couple innings and see how he does. As we're talking about the relationship between the coach and the pitcher, can you talk a little, little bit to this? What should a coach go out when he goes to do a mound visit? What's something that he can tell the pitcher when that pitcher's struggling? Maybe he walked a couple guys, he's, his attitude and his, you can tell his body language is changing really quickly, and you know, gosh, I gotta I got go do something. What is something that a, a coach can say to a pitcher during that time? So one of two approaches, I would say the number one, probably the best approach is to just cool him down, right? Talk about positive things that he's doing, talk about the guys behind him, talk about what we're trying to do, and really just give him a breather while you're out there, especially when you're talking about the young age. You know, the game tends to speed up on the kids really, really fast. And what I mean by that is, you know, walks pile up or maybe errors pile up or base hits pile up and he feels like he's on an island by himself. Um, so cooling him down, letting letting him know that you know you trust him, you trust him to get the job done, and you don't think anything differently of him because he walked a couple guys. We've all been there, um, but mostly just trying to lift him up or lift her up and let them know, hey, we're good. You got the guys behind you. You're gonna make this. You're gonna make the next pitch. You're gonna make the pitch after that. We're gonna get out of this. Older guys, especially if you have a relationship with them. I like to kind of shy away from mechanics, but sometimes there's some blatant mechanics that we can do to, to you know, make a better pitch, possibly staying back over the rubber a little bit better or having better direction going down the mound. Maybe the kid's stepping way towards third base or towards first base um, instead of towards home plate. If you are going to talk mechanics to your pitcher, keep it subtle, nothing crazy, no arm action things, no, you know, crazy complex adjustments that he needs to make or she needs to make um, because there's a good chance that in a game with a little bit of pressure and some adrenaline, they're not going to be able to think mechanics and still make a quality pitch. Was there a specific story that you can tell us or a specific time that you were on a mound and one of your coaches came out to you that either made you laugh or, or just kind of was like, whoa, I've never, no one's ever said that to me before. Was there any, any of those moments that, you know, in your career that, that you were just like, you <laughs> did something that just stands out? Yeah, I was, uh, I was in high school and 
I was pitching in an inning and I was trying to get my curveball over and for some reason I just I couldn't find it that day. My my release point was off. I was my curveballs were backing up on me. I was spiking them into the ground. I just couldn't really get feel for them. Um, next thing you know, it was first and third. It was a pretty big game and two outs. And coach came out and he talked to me and he looked at me and he goes, "What's the matter?" I'm like I can't figure out my curveball. He looked at me and he's like, "Then throw the fastball." Like, okay. Next inning, or next batter, fastball, 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 got out of the inning. So sometimes you get in your own head with trying to figure out things when it's really not the top of the list of, of priority. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's throw a fastball and, you know, baseball is a game of failure. Guys are going to get themselves out seven out of ten times if they're a really good player. So sometimes pitchers overthink it. They try to do too much instead of trusting the guys behind them or trusting their own stuff that that's going to end up panning out at the end. That's awesome. One of the, the notes that I had made, I listened to a college coach one time, and he talked about when he went out for a mound visit, he would put his arm around the player to where his, you know, his, his hand was on like the shoulder of the left, the left shoulder of, of the player, and he could feel his heartbeat to kind of get a feel for how crazy he was at that moment. Because when you're talking about young players, they're nervous. They don't want to let their parents down. They don't want to let their teammates down. You know, maybe they walked a kid. So he would put his arm on his shoulder and like through his hand and through his jersey, he could feel like, Man, his heart's going blah, 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 blah. like, you know, 150 beats per second, and he's freaking out out there. So, like Mike said, calming them down. You know, I talk all the time about speaking in language that the kids understand, right? The kid doesn't want to hear mechanics. They don't want to hear how bad they're doing. So, like, like Mike said with with that mound visit, you know, he was struggling to find the zone with his breaking ball, and his coach calmed him down and said, "Hey, let's just attack him. Let's go right at him with the fastball." So, I think that's so important, just as a youth coach in general, right? Think about what that player is going through at that moment in game. It's like being a third base coach and, and screaming at your hitter from the third base box that his load is too long or that he's stepping too far. Like Those are thoughts that the kid does not need to be thinking about at that moment. Um, so I, I think that's really good stuff. Kind of along the same lines, but you know we all go through it. All you coaches out there go through it. How do you handle you know that helicopter dad that's sitting behind home plate? He's sitting behind the backstop and he's barking out mechanics to his player and, or to his son. And, and, you know, he's yelling at him, telling him what he needs to do on the mound. Meanwhile, you're trying to manage the game from the dugout. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a really good relationship with all the parents on my team. And, you know, one of the things that we do at Zone is we talk about expectations of both the players as well as the parents before the season even starts. So I think making sure that you lay all of that out and let them know, you know, I'm going to take care of your boy or I'm going to take care of your girl. And when we're out on the field, let me coach. I think that parents that are super involved, it's, it's awesome for the kid because they have a great support system. They, they have a, a dad or a mom that's really involved. But I think sometimes it can be a little bit of, of over, overkill. You know, there's been situations where I've had to walk out onto the mound and, and cool the kid off and just say, hey, listen, just you and the catcher. That's it. You and the catcher. Don't worry about any other background music going on. I, I try to do a good job of not, not barking out mechanics like you're saying because Again, a, a younger kid is not going to be able to make the adjustment mid-game if you're screaming, hey, stay back, hey, get the glove side up, hey, get to extension, hey, better better direction down the mound. That's the last thing they're thinking about. And when I was pitching, is the last thing I was thinking about. So I think talking to those parents and just letting them know, you know, your kid is 10 years old or 11 years old. If you're barking out something and I'm trying to help him out on the mound and his teammates are trying to help him out, he has three different voices that are coming at him from three different directions and he's still trying to focus on throwing a strike right so um, I know Duke does a really good job with his kids as far as the hat on hat off technique uh, post game where if they want to talk about the game 
Um, they leave their hat on. If they don't want to talk about the game, they, t they take their hat off. It's kind of similar to that where I tell the parents, listen, when your kids get into the dugout, they're mine until the end of the game. Right? If you want to drop off water, you want to drop off Gatorade, that's fine, but keep it short and brief. I want them not only to stay focused on the game, but not have outside distractions. I think that's one of the hardest things, especially at a younger age. I think it's acceptable at 8U, 9U, because the kids are still really little. They're still getting into the game. But I think once you get to 10U, 11U, you know, that's that's middle of Little League. That's, you know, you see some 11U kids on uh, Little League World Series that are monsters. They're huge. Um, they need to be focusing on the game and learning and making adjustments and dealing with failure as well as dealing with success. So I think just making sure that you line it out with your with your parents and say, you know, if you want to talk to your kid about what he's doing, do it after the game. Do it after the game or prepare him before the game. That way when he gets out on the field, he can kind of grow as a, as a human being as and as a player by himself, right? Because there's going to get to an age where you're not going to be able to do that and coaches are not going to put up with it at all and you're going to be asked to leave. So I think that starting them at a young age so that they know, okay, when I step between the lines, it's just me and my teammates. It's not mom and dad. It's not grandma and grandpa. It's just me and the eight other guys that are on the field with me. So here I am. I'm a, I'm a rec coach. I have to bring in another pitcher, and I have to bring the pitcher into the bullpen, and I have no idea what to do. Can you give us a basic bullpen routine so when the pitcher goes down there and I'm going down there with them, I know how to warm them up? Younger guys, again, four-seam, two-seam changeup and only a changeup if you've worked on it before. All right, so if you just tell the kid, hey, we're gonna warm up four-seam, two-seam changeup, he might not even know what a changeup grip is. And then also lining up how many pitches you're gonna throw. So for example, I would say my guys throw around 12 to 15 pitches and they're good to go before the game starts. They're younger, um, there's not a ton of tension on their arm, they're not chucking the baseball 80 miles an hour. Usually 10 to 15 pitches in the bullpen before the game is good to go. If you send your assistant coach down there, a good way to map it out, four-seam fastball to start, two-seam fastball afterwards, change up if you have it. Always go heavy on the four-seams because that's what you're going to throw mostly in the game. Mix in a few two-seams, mix in a few change-ups towards the end. Just as a rule of thumb, if you're throwing 15 pitches and you're, let's say, 8U, let's go half and half, four-seam, two-seam. If you're 9 to 12 you, you're throwing a 15-pitch bullpen to get ready for the game, Let's go six four seams, five two seams, three change-ups, always end on a fastball. And the reason I say always end on a fastball is because there's a very good chance that the first pitch you're gonna throw at age nine or at age 10 to 12 or nine to 12 is going to be a fastball when you're in the game. I remember a story um, when I was in pro ball, I was so focused on my four seam and my two seam that I warmed up before a game, I was on the field, I was throwing my warm-up pitches before the inning started, and I didn't throw any curveballs. And then my coach called a curveball for the first pitch. Obviously, it's a different level, so you may start with a curveball. You might start with a changeup. I threw a curveball. I spiked it into the ground, and he chewed me out when I got into the dugout. He's like, well, you didn't throw any curveballs in your warm-up. How do you expect to throw a curveball for a strike? And I, I looked at him. I was like, you're 100% correct. So with the kids that are 9 to 12, if they throw a changeup and they don't warm up with any changeups, don't expect their changeup to be good that game. And then lastly, you know, 13 and older, if you start mixing in curveballs and sliders, to, big, to piggyback off that story, you know, let's go in, in order, four seam first, two seam, change up, curveball slider for a couple, and then end on a four seam. Um, you want to at least get all of your pitches in before the game so that when you're in the game, you're prepared to throw it when the sign gets called. What do you think about uh, like finishing the last couple pitches like a batter? 
Like, all right, we got an OO count right here. We're going to face a, a pretend batter before we head out to the field. That's exactly how I set up all my lessons. It doesn't matter if they're 8U or if they're 20U, right? They come in, and, and usually for, like, the first 15 pitches, normally our, our bullpen sessions consist of 25 pitches, 25, maybe 30 at the max. Uh, I don't really let any kids go over 35 pitches strictly because – if you throw over 35 pitches in an inning, there's a good chance you're probably gonna get taken out of that game. So there's really no point in trying to practice throwing more than 35 pitches in one session. But yeah, if, if uh, I, 100%, I think that you need to get a hitter in there or if there's no hitter, just simulate a bullpen or simulate an at-bat. And don't just give the player strikes because they're younger and you wanna try to fire them up. You know, Be honest with them, hey, that pitch is a little bit outside, but that qualifies as a quality pitch. So that's a good pitch, don't worry about it, it's 1-0. And trying to create as, as realistic a, of a scenario as you possibly can so that, you know, if you don't have a hitter, all right, well, I worked a couple batters, I'm ready to go at practice today, or I'm ready to go for my game this weekend. What's some advice that you can give a, a coach or a parent of, of an athlete that, you know, a pitcher that, that struggled, they had a really bad outing, you know, what, what's, something that, what, what's some kind of encouraging words or what was the way that you as a pitcher, what's something that you did to help yourself bounce back after a bad outing or after a bad start, that sort of thing? So pitching's tough because if you're a starter and you have a bad outing, at least in like the high school level, you're not going to really see the mound again for a week or maybe four days, five days. So a lot of times kids want to get right back on the mound and they want to figure out what it is, which is a good thing. But talking about the arm care and taking care of your arm, you also have to be smart about how many throws you're making. Normally what I do with my lessons is I always compare it to a big leaguer because a lot of the kids that come in here aspire to be in the big leagues one day. So I'll pull a name, let's say Justin Verlander, who's one of the best in the game right now. And I'll pick a, an outing where he did not do very good. And I'll say, listen, you know, this is what our outing was. This is Justin Verlander who's making millions and millions and millions of dollars being one of the best pitchers in the world. And he didn't have a great outing, right? So you, you're human, you're gonna struggle, that's how you're gonna learn. And just trying to make that connection between their role models and themselves. I think that that's a really good way to help a kid realize like, you know what, I'm not gonna go out there every single time and throw a great outing. I'm not gonna go out there every single time and have all of my, all of my pitches and all of my stuff. So I think comparing outings from their role models as well as them is a really good way to help them realize that they are going to struggle every once in a while. Mikey, what's one of the most memorable moments that you have on the mound? I would say one of the most memorable moments that we have, and I'm going to mention my high school principal, Mr. Sotal. Um, we were playing in a district semifinals at Limeport Stadium. Um, which is up in Pennsylvania, and it's an old, old stadium. You know, high school baseball, what would you say? Maybe on average you get 30 fans at the game, 35 fans at the game. He created a sign-up sheet because it was such a big game for us. We had a really good team. Uh, he created a sign-up sheet where kids could leave school at se in the seventh period to come and bus to Limeport Stadium, which is probably 45 minutes from our high school. So I was starting that game. I got out on the mound. Uh, the stadium has the big, you know, stadium seating behind, probably from third base to first base. And I was throwing my first couple warm-ups, and I was thinking, like, oh, man, you know, this, this stadium is kind of empty for the sign-up sheet. Like, you know, baseball, I guess, isn't as popular in high school. A lot of guys like to go to football games or sometimes soccer games. And by the time my warm-up pitches were done, we had hundreds of students piling in 
through the stands. Probably because they got out of school early and that's why they wanted to go, which is fine. But it was an electric game. I think we won two to one. And I, I really think that having that many people there on our side helped us win that game. I just remember every strikeout, the place was erupting. Every time we got a base hit, the place was erupting. So that was my first taste of playing in front of a bunch of, a bunch of people. So that was, that was probably one of my, my most memorable moments, at least in high school, for sure. Really cool. And, and being a, a coach now, right, transitioning from, from being a, a really good high school pitcher to a first-round draft pick to playing seven years of pro ball, you know, how's the transition going into coaching? You've got a lot of first-time coaches out there. Um, you know, I know a struggle for me when I first started is I wanted to help, help, help. But, uh, you know, how's that transition going? You know, some, some, some goods, some bads, some uglies, any, any insight into guys going out and coaching for the first time? Yeah, so let's, let's start off with the bads and get them out of the way. I'd say the biggest struggle that I've had is, at least in the beginning, was the terminology that I would use. So I was so used to talking with professional coaches or talking with coaches that maybe I trained with at Zone that we've had such a long relationship that we started developing some terms or some phrases that worked for me. And, you know, I found myself maybe the first couple months using those those terms and kind of getting the blank stares from kids. And I'm talking ages, you know, seven, ages 14. So that would probably be the biggest struggle is, is I don't want to say dumbing it down, but trying to talk in the terms of the age of the kid that I'm, I'm working with. So what I like to do is I like to use a lot of analogies. Um, you know, for example, if I'm trying to get a kid who's 10 years old or nine years old to reach out with the baseball, I'll use a video game which you're probably thinking like, what do, you, what do you mean you use a video game? I'll use Mario Kart, I'll say, you know, you're driving your Mario Kart, you're, you're Luigi, you got your cart, and you see the little hovering box in front of you. The only way you're gonna get that box is if you reach out and you grab it, or else the cart behind you is gonna grab it and then they're gonna hit you with the shell. And then all of a sudden the kid's eyes light up at nine, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. So now instead of them letting go of the baseball way back by their ear, they're reaching out and they're, they're getting to the box. That would probably be one of the biggest things I feel like I've, I've grown as a coach is being able to relate to the different ages, especially coaching with the 11U team, um, which was the 10U team last year. So much energy, so much fun. I, I really enjoy it. But yeah, I, I think that I, you know the transition from playing to coaching came pretty easily. I mean, when I was playing, I was I was giving lessons here. I was coaching with Steve in the off season during the fall. Um, so I had a little taste of it. But I think that the reward of seeing somebody getting better and you know the light bulb going off to somebody who may, maybe doesn't know exactly what you're talking about but then all of a sudden it clicks um, is super rewarding and it's a lot of fun. I, I really like the, the team that I'm with right now. I really like all the kids that are on the team and, and you start to develop relationships with these guys and, and see them grow as they get older. So, you know, it's really good. What we wanna do next is we wanna talk about a submitted question that we had from Coach Kevin Laird. The topic was infield trouble throwing. So he says, I'm a member of your service. We love it. My infielders do amazing and at fielding and throwing in regular drills. When a runner is inserted, they completely blank out or make a bad throw. Do you guys have any advice that would be appreciated? We talk about this a lot, Coach Laird. We talk about how we take practice and we make sure that we try to get our athletes to compete. Coach Steve talks about taking out the stopwatch. And what the stopwatch does is you can have the best mechanics, you can field it smooth, you can throw it well, but then all of a sudden, when you only have 3.5 or 4 seconds to get an out, all of a sudden the kids are rushing. They rush, they're looking at the, the runner to see where he's at, they're, they're fielding their next, you know, everything goes out the window. So 
in practice, if you can just get out a stopwatch and let the players know what does four seconds feel like? What is it? What is it like? What's their 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 inner clock have to say when the ball hits slow? Well, I got to move a little bit faster. If the ball hit hard, well then I have a little, little bit more time. So breaking out a stopwatch during practice is a huge way to really help your athletes kind of get that inner clock and get them to understand that. I think that's a perfect question to even tie into our pitching talk today, right? We just got done talking about, you know, simulating a batter standing in the box, you know, acting like we're throwing to a batter before we actually go onto the field. And it relates to exactly what Duke was just talking about right there. If we just go through the motions in practice and we're taking feel good ground balls, taking a couple shuffles, lobbing it over, of course the guys are going to panic when the game starts. So, you know, putting a runner out there, like Duke just said, the stopwatch infield outfield is one of my favorites. You know, we've got to do a really good job at simulating game-like situations in practice. Because if we don't, the game's just going to speed up on them. you got to remember that practice time, coaches, is, is our time to prepare our guys, to put pressure on them. We talked a little bit about, about Failure Friday last week, you know, and really challenging your guys in practice so that once they go out and play, that's their time to go out and have fun. But they're prepared. They know how fast they have to go. They know how quick their feet have to move, you know. They know that they're throwing to a batter in practice, so they're not going to get nervous when somebody's standing out there in-game. But, yeah, I mean, all, the, all that stuff's spot on, and I think it, it tied into exactly what we were just talking about from, from the pitching side as well. Awesome. Well, I think, that was, I think that's amazing. Amazing guest. Answered a ton of great questions. Like I said, make sure you all keep the questions coming. Make sure you add them in the comments, whether it be on Facebook, whether it be our info at dominatethediamond.com and you're sending us emails. Whatever questions you guys have, Send them in to us, and we'll make sure that we get them on the show. We get them on the podcast. We also have coming up on March 4th, we have a live in-person coaches clinic from 10 to 12 o'clock here in New Jersey. We've already got almost, it's almost half sold out already. We have a month and a half left, so make sure you, if you can come, make sure you come. But we had a great, great session today, great episode. Duke Baxter, Steve Nickerack with Mikey Nickerack. Thanks so much for being on the show today. We'll see you next time on the Get Zoned In podcast.